When 2020 began, did you really think that in late April, with the first Saturday of May right around the corner, that we'd be talking about Foner Park in Grand Island, Nebraska? Well, as you know, it's one of the only games in town during the shutdown. We'll talk with trainer Skylar Condon, who was based there. Plus, we'll share the results of a survey quantifying what horse owners and other equine stakeholders think about the impact of the sports shutdown. It's all straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're about to move in. They roll sack. And they're off. It's a move for the top of the It's a hit on the This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And while they're sitting at home, maybe the brainiacs at America's Best Racing will discover the show and include us in the Fan Choice Awards this November. Then again, you probably have a better chance of buying the New York Mets if A-Rod and J-Lo don't. The first Saturday in May is just around the corner, a time of the year synonymous with Fauner Park. Before this spring, did you even know there was such a place as Fauner Park? Do you even know where it's located? Well, Bonner Park is one of just five racetracks currently operating in the United States during the you-know-what shutdown, along with Gulfstream, Oaklawn, Tampa, and Will Rogers Downs in Oklahoma. Bonner Park is located at the Nebraska State Fairgrounds in Grand Island, about 150 miles west of Omaha. Thoroughbreds have run there since 1953. By the way, I must say that I do have a fondness for the Grand Island area because of my guy Doug Duda, co-host of the Doug and Daddy Show on ESPN Tri-Cities 1460 and 1550 AM. He's a big thoroughbred guy, and I'm guessing he spent some time at Fodder Park here and there. Maybe more here than there. To give us an idea of what it's like to race at Fodder, particularly during this time, we're pleased to welcome to the show for the first time, well... Talking about Fonner Park as a first for this show, trainer Skylar Condon, who enters Rock City Road Hog in the track's biggest event of the year, the $50,000 Gus Fonner Stakes. First of all, what has it been like for you training and running horses amidst this shutdown? It's been crazy. I mean, it's a good deal that we get to run. We kind of miss the fans, though. The jockeys, trainers, owners, we all kind of miss the fans at the racetrack, but at least we get to keep doing our job, and being on TV is kind of way different in Nebraska. It's been a while since we've been on TV. How aware are you but, as you go about your daily business that your operation and Fonner Park in general is getting more of the eyes of the racing world on it than usual? It's pretty neat. I mean, I've raced at some big racetracks, you know, and like I've raced at Prairie Meadows and at Oakland, and being on TVG is pretty neat there. Our management and every, all the staff here at Fauna Park has been putting on a good show, and it's awesome. I love having my owners call me and say they've seen me, they've seen me on TVG and the paddock and stuff like that. I mean, it's pretty neat. Now, you're a fairly young guy, 31, I believe, but you've already been training for quite a few years. If this shutdown had happened in your earlier years training, how much differently would you have handled all of this? 
I think I would have probably panicked a little more. I've had a lot of adversity in the past with uh, running my stable, and what I've kind of learned is patience is a virtue in this sport. That's about all I can really say. I mean, like when I was younger, I think I would have panicked and sent everything home and would have been in a worse spot than I am, but with management here, they put a pretty good plan in place really quick, so I didn't have really time to panic, or anybody here had time to panic, really. Trainer Skylar Condon joining us here on In the Gate from Fodder Park in Grand Island, Nebraska. What are your thoughts about a ruling which happened just before the shutdown that prevents Fodder Park from adding historical racing, which resembles slot machines? I wish, I mean, I wish it'd go through. I mean, it's nothing, it's not gambling. It's, you know, all on historic racing. Government in Nebraska needs to realize that it's helped a lot of States in the sport. I mean, Kentucky right now, they're in a whole new high in, you know, money, making money for the state and the horse racing community. Oakland Park, they started with uh, historical race machines. And I mean, we put a lot of jobs on the line and we create a lot of jobs in the state of Nebraska. And with, you know, the economy the way it is or has been, more jobs is better than less jobs, I would say. Now, you're a lifelong Nebraska resident, very committed to the sport in that state. What does this ruling mean for you and your operation? Um, well, it makes me, I mean, it changes my plans every, every summer. I'd like to, I'd like to just stay home. I mean, my farm, my go home every night and stay there, but I got to extend my branches and go to Prairie Meadows in Iowa, Canterbury Park in Minnesota. Uh, Remington Park in Oklahoma and Hot Springs, Arkansas, where Oakland is. That's where I got to kind of reside my business just because there's more money there and business is business. So that's why I have to venture out. Tell us about the longstanding attempt to bring casino gaming in to supplement the racing industry in Nebraska. We've tried it multiple times in the past. We've we've come close. It's It's a big uphill battle. But, I mean, we keep trying and we keep trying and we got a pretty good plan together this time and we got a lot of great partners that have really good resources for us. The Ho-Chunk in Sioux City, Nebraska, they are helping. They're doing quite a bit with us, the HPBA board, and we're all coming together with a pretty good plan. We just, you know, we need to get the signatures set up or, so we can get it on the ballot here in a couple of years. And I think if we can get it on the ballot, we might have a shot. And the state of Nebraska needs it. You know, it'll help everybody in the state with taxes, tax relief. It'll help the schools. And we're the only one with our heads in the sand and not realizing how much money we're giving to Iowa and South Dakota and Kansas and states like that. I mean, we should we should save our own money. And it's Rock City Roadhog. He's put away Halloween Critic and set sail for home here in the boss cap. He's opened up four lengths and he could be gone inside the six bowl. Rock City Roadhog for pass line stables and Snyder Condon wins the boss cap. Rock City Roadhog is the defending winner of the Fonner Stakes. It's not often you see a 10-year-old gelding competing in a stakes race, but in the Fonner Stakes on Wednesday, Rock City Roadhog will be going to the post for the 83rd time. In this day and age where horses' careers are so short, that number, 83, is simply amazing. 
What has to happen for him to have a chance in this mile and a 16th event? He needs to get a clean trip. I mean, he's had some bad luck this year. He just hasn't been, you know, the same horse early on in the year. He's a whole different horse right now than he was a week ago, and he worked lights out. Everything kind of needs to go his own way. He's got his own quirks, but he's an old iron horse. He knows what he wants to do, and he's he's a tough old knocker. I mean, you know, he knows how to find the winner's circle, 23 of them, so... He's an all-class horse. He's cool to be around. Everybody that gets to meet him and just see him, just, you know, his personality. He loves to race, and that's him. What kind of quirks does he have? Well, he uh, he's kind of he's high-headed. He runs in an extended Houghton bit, which, you know, they are very rare to see in the races, and especially for a 10-year-old. I mean, that gives the jockey a little more control. He just... He's just funny. He runs with his head high, and he leads everything his own way. And there'll be 12 more days to enjoy racing at Fodder Park, as the meet has been extended through the month of May, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for each of the four weeks of May. Thank you so much for giving us a little slice of racing in Nebraska, and best of luck on Wednesday. I appreciate it, Barry. Thank you. I appreciate everything you do. We've all read or heard little snippets of what horse owners and horsemen are saying about the effects of the COVID-19 shutdown. But when we come back, we'll take the industry's temperature in a more substantive and quantitative way. So stay with us. Welcome back to In the Gate. This is the year of the census. Good luck to those people trying to go door to door with them. The point of the census, of course, is to measure all kinds of demographic trends in the United States so that appropriate actions will follow based on the data. It certainly would help to have quantifiable information from the constituents as the horse racing industry looks to navigate a way out of the COVID-19 shutdown. And it just so happens that some information is on the way, in the form of a survey. This survey is happening in the UK because it seems that A, every good idea for a television show, and B, every good horse racing survey and scientific breakthrough comes from the UK. This survey we're going to discuss highlights the impact of the coronavirus and the shutdown on owners, trainers, and other horsemen. This survey is being conducted by researchers at Hartbury University in Gloucester, about 100 miles west of London. Hartbury specializes in agriculture and veterinary medicine, particularly equine. And one of the researchers on the team at Hartbury is Professor Jane Williams, who joins us here on In the Gate. We recently had the president of one of the United States' foremost thoroughbred aftercare agencies, the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, on the show, to talk about a potential spike in the number of horses being retired due to a lack of racing opportunities this year. What is your research telling you in terms of numbers of how fearful owners and other horsemen in the UK are about the same thing? I think there's a real lot of concern within the UK uh, about what is going to happen as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. What we've seen with our horse owners, they've been identifying that they're already seeing a lot of financial effects negatively, both in terms of them potentially being put on furloughed leave where their salaries are being reduced. I'm not really sure whether there's going to be jobs for them to go back to. So it's looking that we think in terms of equestrian coaching, something like 75% of coaches feel there's going to be a negative impact and that's going to impact them going 
further on. And of our general horse owners, approximately a third of them are really concerned about the, the financial impact it will have on how they can look after the horse in the long term and equally whether or not they'll be able to keep the horses in the long term. Do you have any kind of baseline of what those numbers would be in a normal year? I think we have a number of charities in the UK, such as World Horse Welfare and Red Wings Horse Sanctuary, which would be looking at welfare and have horses relinquished under them sort of considerations, but they will be a lot less. It tends to be more packs where people have been hoarding horses and they go in and they do rescues that way. So I mean, probably less than 5%, I would think, maybe even lower than that on an annual basis. So it's quite a, a big increase. And equally, these are horse owners who potentially haven't been planning for this sort of situation. So what we see a lot is that people sort of feel that if, the pandemic was to carry on for up to three months, they could probably get through and they're using family and partner salaries, support for the financially to be able to get them through that point in time. But longer than three months seems to be almost a, a critical point where it becomes more of an issue and they'll have to consider about the horse. One of the other things we've seen in the UK and it's also emerging with the North American work that we've done as well is where we have horses that are being looked after in barns where there's part or complete assistance for the, the care and the management of the horse. There's been a lot more restrictions on access to people and the horses there. And sometimes that's been associated with increased charges because the people who are running that barn are, are trying to obviously be able to financially get through the crisis themselves and are also putting a lot more work in with these horses. So equally, some of these owners are losing money on one hand because they haven't got jobs or their job has been put on hold and equally there might be more costs coming in associated with the horse as well. What are the numbers telling you about any other types of adjustments that trainers have made to their operations since the shutdown started? It's quite interesting. There's been some work come out in the UK this week which is saying that approximately half of the UK racing yards seem to be carrying on with the the premise that actually racing might start behind closed doors at some point in, in the near future. We have to wait and see if that happens. But equally half of them have stopped training. So we have a, a survey which is live currently for stable staff and trainers to try and get a real feel for what is going on within the racing sector as part of the broader equestrian surveys that we're doing. You have tried to run these surveys in different parts of the horse racing world. What differences are there, if any, in the numbers you've gotten in the UK, Australia, and here in North America? I think what we've tended to see is is probably quite normal, really. In the UK, um, we've had a a higher increase in terms of the people who are participating. So we got just under 6,500 responses in the UK horse owners. That dropped to about 4,000 in the US uh, and Canada. Combined, and then in New Zealand and Australia, we were again down to about one, one half thousand. In some ways, I think it is linked to the timing of when the surveys went out because the UK came first, followed by North America, followed by down in Australasia. But also, perhaps indicative of the type of owners, you would see more owners who potentially have the horses at barns in the UK and also within North America. When you go down into New Zealand and Australia, a lot of horses are kept at home and perhaps hasn't been as much of an impact, and people might not have engaged with the survey as much then. How good or not good is the communication between owners and trainers when it comes to moving forward? I think that's quite a mixed picture. Uh, And one of the themes that came out from when the survey respondents were answering an open question 
is very much wanting better communication on a number of different levels. So they wanted increased communication from the yard owners, but equally also, and from the trainers, but also from a government and a local government level. So in the UK, there's a lot of discussion about whether we should ride or not. The British Equestrian Federation has said we shouldn't be riding to reduce the pressure on the National Health Service uh, because of the potential risk of injury. If we looked at some of the information that the respondents were saying, they weren't really fully clear about that. Equally, within the, the barns and the yards, they weren't always clear as to what measures they should be putting in place to try and protect themselves and the other people who were on that um, environment to prevent them getting COVID. So we saw a lot of yards that were putting in restraints about social distancing, but perhaps not thinking so much about providing additional sanitation equipment and antibacterial or surgical spirit spray to be able to disinfect hands, but also to disinfect shared areas of the yard. So if you imagine everybody goes to the water bucket stuff or use a hose pipe, being able to have something available there so that you can reduce the risk of cross-contamination is a key area. The other key aspect from yards to trainers is when people could and couldn't go on yards and whether or not there was a, a system of appointments almost where you could go and go and see your horse or somebody else would or there'd be a buddy system in place, which does have a, a negative effect as well because people obviously want to spend time with the horse. If yards are putting restrictions in place that you'd only visit once a day, then potentially people are feeling quite strongly that that's having quite a negative impact on their own mental health and well-being. Professor Jane Williams of Hartbury University in the UK joins us here on In the Gate. Now, cross-contamination and COVID is one thing, but since everyone except essential personnel are expected to remain at home through the shutdown, as we've been saying, how concerned are owners and trainers from a number standpoint about being able to get medical care for their horses? Again, that was another key concern which came through with the survey. So in the UK, our veterinary services and barriers, etc., have been told that they can carry on to do essential services. But I think what we saw a lot, as both across North America and within the UK surveys, is that we were having probably um, about half to 60% of the people who responded who were concerned about the long-term impact of being able to access regular veterinary care. And quite often that links to routine veterinary care, such as vaccinations. And a horse, particularly if we're looking at competition horses and race horses, they're on a much tighter vaccination schedule than perhaps a leisure or recreational horse would be. And trying to keep them within a six-month cycle, if they miss some of them vaccinations, then potentially they have to start again from scratch. And actually that could have an impact on when they could race or when they could compete again. So people were quite concerned in that respect of getting the general health care, getting equine dentists out to make sure the teeth were done. I think emergency veterinary care, they appreciated it was there, but obviously, again, that will have increased costs associated with it. What other types of questions did you ask in this survey? So we focused it very much about looking at how the pandemic was affecting people in terms of access to their yards and whether or not they could go to the barn as much as they could, whether or not they felt it was affecting their horse's care. And then we asked them very broadly about medical management and concerns that they had about the horse's health, if they were already on some form of drug therapy or rehabilitation, and then about the measures that have been put in place by the yards to be able to protect those people and the horses, as well as the financial impact of where the pandemic was going to be on long-term care. 
We also try to ask their opinion on the pandemic to try and get some idea about whether the real key concerns were going to be. Um, so we asked a few open questions in there so people could be able to comment uh, and really show their true emotions and feelings about the pandemic. What are some of the more memorable responses you've gotten? Um, I think some of it, there's some really sad and really worrying ones um, linked through to welfare and people not being able to keep the horses and, and worried about that long-term impact. Also some really general ones about the impact wider across the equestrian sector in terms of welfare and perhaps the ongoing tally of number of welfare cases or the pressure on equine charities and then not being able to help people who get put into that position. And also lots of things just like, I really miss my horse. Uh, my horse is my best friend uh, and I, I can't go and see him now. I don't feel that that other people will care for the horse as well as I can do. And I think that links into that potential negative aspect from a person perspective. We treat our horses as one of the family. Uh, and they're a pet in the same way as a lot of the time as uh, horses, uh, cats and dogs, etc. can be brought together in that sort of classification. So I think people really are missing the interaction that they have with the horses. And also it adds a routine to your life. And, and in times when we are in lockdown and we are perhaps struggling with the lack of routine, taking away some of the normality that people would normally experience can have a potentially worrying and an anxious effect on them. What's going to happen to these results? Where are they going and how are they going to be used? So we have a number of plans in terms of uh, how we're going to disseminate the results. So in the first instance, we've taken them to policymakers and, and leading equestrian bodies so that they can appreciate how people are feeling about how the impact of COVID is having on them. So, for example, it's gone to the British Equestrian Federation, it's gone to the British Horse Society. We've shared it with a range of welfare organisations so that they can start to plan ahead and to put out additional guidance and information to support people through this crisis. Um, we also plan to repeat the survey. So we aim to keep doing this every month and to try and get a, a really clear idea of how the ongoing impact of COVID is, is affecting horse owners and the horses and the impact on horses' health so that we can start to judge and to see um, what potentially that long-term impact could be to try and take some mitigating actions to reduce any negative welfare or negative mental well-being aspects of either the horse or the humans involved. Are there any plans to share this data with uh, organizations here in North America? Yes, definitely. So, um, as I said, the, the North American survey is a little bit lagged behind the UK version. So yes, we, we've got a summary of the results and the themes which have come through that and they've started to be shared with the sort of leading organisations within the state. So I have a number of colleagues from academic institutions in America who are starting to put that process into action. And hopefully, again, we'll also see the results coming through on a broader spectrum as well so that they will be within equestrian media and magazines. Because what we really want to do is to get this back to the horse owners as well. People have really invested and spent time and effort in completing the survey, and we're very, very grateful for that. We want them to know that they're not alone and how other people are feeling and that we can give them the support to be able to help them to get through the situation. The survey will be sent out in a couple of weeks or so for a first update on the numbers. Professor Jane Williams of Hartbury University, thank you so much for sharing this data with us, and we hope that you stay safe and healthy. Thank you ever so much for having me on. And again, I hope everybody stays safe and healthy through this crisis. 
Our thanks once again to Jane Williams and to Skylar Condon. Two years ago, I went across the pond to Royal Ascot to see what the big fuss was all about. The pomp and circumstance that followed Her Majesty the Queen, and who knows how many more times she'd be out. The Queen decides each day who rides in her pre-race carriage procession. Most days, they are people we would never know. But if you're there the first day, you will usually see her family. That's the one time almost all the royals go. And sure enough, we saw Harry and Meghan, who just had gotten married, and Charles and Camilla and the like. But after Megxit, the Sussexes likely won't be there again. They told their royal advisors to take a hike. Not only won't they be there, neither will most of the men in top hats or ladies with their fancy hats and heels. I really timed it right. The stars won't align like that again. A day with so much glamorous appeal. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching "In the Gate Podcast." You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review this show. Those reviews really help others find us. And maybe those brainiacs at America's Best Racing will do the same and include us in their Fan Choice Awards this November. Although we have a better chance of seeing Nancy Pelosi invite Donald Trump over for dinner. You can follow me on Twitter at B Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you're safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time.